Chapter Twenty Four of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Barry O'Neill. Is He Popenjoy by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty Four. The Marquis goes into Brotherton. The poor dear old Marchioness must have had some feelings that she was regarded as a spy. She had promised to tell everything to her eldest son, and though she had really nothing to tell, though the Marquis did in truth know all that there was as yet to know, still there grew up at Cross Hall a sort of severance between the unhappy old lady and her children. This showed itself in no diminution of affectionate attention, in no intentional change of manner, but there was a reticence about the Marquis and Popenjoy which even she perceived and there crept into her mind a feeling that Mrs. Toff was on her guard against her, so that on two occasions she almost snubbed Mrs. Toff. "'I never seed him, my lady. What more can I say?' said Mrs. Toff. "'Toff, I don't believe you wanted to see your master's son and heir,' said the Marchioness. Then Mrs. Toff pursed her lips and compressed her nose and half-closed her eyes and the Marchioness was sure that Mrs. Toff did not believe in Popenjoy. No one but Lord George had seen Popenjoy. To no eyes but his had the august baby been displayed. Of course many questions had been asked, especially by the old lady, but the answers to them had not been satisfactory. "'Dark is he?' asked the Marchioness. Lord George replied that the child was very swarthy. "'Dear me, this isn't like the Germains. The Germains were never light, but they're not swarthy. Did he talk at all?' "'Not a word.' "'Did he play about?' "'Never was out of the nurse's arms.' "'Dear me, was he like Brotherton?' "'I don't think I am a judge of likenesses.' "'He's a healthy child?' "'I can't say. He seemed to be a good deal done up with finery.' Then the Marchioness declared that her younger son showed an unnatural indifference to the heir of the family. It was manifest that she intended to accept the new Popenjoy, and to ally herself with no party base enough to entertain any suspicion. These examinations respecting the baby went on for the first three days of the week. It was Lord George's intention to return to town on the Saturday, and it seemed to them all to be necessary that something should be arranged before that. Lady Sarah thought that direct application should be made to her brother for proof of his marriage and for a copy of the register of the birth of his child. She quite admitted that he would resent such application with the bitterest enmity, but that, she thought, must be endured. She argued that nothing could be done more friendly to the child than this. If all was right, the inquiry which circumstances certainly demanded would be made while he could not feel it. If no such proof were adduced now, there would certainly be trouble, misery, and perhaps ruin in coming years. If the necessary evidence were forthcoming, then no one would wish to interfere further. There might be ill blood on their brother's part, but there would be none on theirs. Neither Lord George nor their younger sister gainsayed this altogether. Neither of them denied the necessity of inquiry, but they desired to temporize and then how was the inquiry to be made who was to bell the cat and how should they go on when the marquis refused to take any heed of them as of course he would do lady sarah saw at once that they must employ a lawyer but what lawyer 
Old Mr. Stokes, the family attorney, was the only lawyer they knew, but Mr. Stokes was Lord Brotherton's lawyer, and would hardly consent to be employed against his own client. Lady Sarah suggested that Mr. Stokes might be induced to explain to the Marquis that these inquiries should be made for his, the Marquis's, own benefit. But Lord George felt that this was impossible. It was evident that Lord George would be afraid to ask Mr. Stokes to undertake the work. At last it came to be understood among them that they must have some friend to act with them. There could be no doubt who that friend should be. As to interfering, said Lady Sarah, speaking of the dean, he will interfere, whether we ask him to or not. His daughter is as much affected as anybody, and if I understand him he is not the man to see any interest of his own injured by want of care. Lord George shook his head, but yielded. He greatly disliked the idea of putting himself into the dean's hands, of becoming a creature of the dean's. He felt the dean to be stronger than himself, endowed with higher spirit and more confident hopes. But he also felt the dean was the son of a stable-keeper. Though he had professed to his brother that he could own the fact without shame, still he was ashamed. It was not the dean's parentage that troubled him so much as a consciousness of some defect, perhaps only of the absence of some quality, which had been caused by that parentage. The man looked like a gentleman, but still there was a smell of the stable. Feeling this rather than knowing it, Lord George resisted for a while the idea of joining forces with the dean, but when it was suggested to him as an alternative that he himself must go to Mr. Stokes and explain his suspicions in the lawyer's room, then he agreed that, as a first step, he would consult the dean. The dean, no doubt, would have his own lawyer, who would not care a fig for the Marquis. It was thought by them at Cross Hall that the dean would come over to them, knowing that his son-in-law was in the country. But the dean did not come, probably waiting for the same compliment from Lord George. On the Friday, Lord George rode into Brotherton early, and was at the deanery by eleven o'clock. "'I thought I should see you,' said the dean, in his pleasantest manner. "'Of course I heard from Mary that you were down here. Well, what do you think of it all?' "'It is not pleasant.' If you mean your brother, I am bound to say he is very unpleasant. Of course you have seen him. Yes, I have seen him. And her ladyship? No, he said that as I do not speak Italian, it would be no good. And he seemed to think, said the dean, that as I do speak Italian, it would be dangerous. Nobody has seen her then? Nobody. That promises well. And the little lord? He was brought down to me. That was gracious. Well, what of him? Did he look like a Popenjoy? He is a nasty little black thing. I shouldn't wonder. And looks... Well, I don't want to abuse the poor child, and God knows if he is what he pretends to be, I would do anything to serve him. That's just it, George, said the dean, very seriously, seriously and with his kindest manner, being quite disposed to make himself agreeable to Lord George, if Lord George would be agreeable to him. That's just it. If we were certified as to that, what would we not do for the child in spite of the father's brutality? There is no dishonesty in our side, George. You know of me, and I know of you, that if every tittle of the evidence of that child's birth were in the keeping of either of us, so that it could be destroyed on the moment, it should be made as public as the winds of heaven to-morrow, so that it was true evidence. If he be what he pretends to be, who would interfere with him? But if he be not? 
any suspicion of that kind is unworthy of us except on very strong ground true but if there be very strong ground it is equally true that such suspicion is our duty look at the case when was it that he told you that he was going to be married about six months since as far as my memory goes he said i am to be married that is speaking in the future tense and now he claims to have been married two or three years ago has he ever attempted to explain this he has not said a word about it he is quite unwilling to talk about himself i dare say but a man in such circumstances must be made to talk about himself you and i are so placed that if we did not make him talk about himself we ought to be made to make him do so he may be deceitful if he pleases he may tell you and me fibs without end and he may give us much trouble by doing so such trouble is the evil consequence of having liars in the world lord george winced at the rough word as applied to his own brother but liars themselves are always troubled by their own lies if he chooses to tell you that on a certain day he is about to be married and afterwards springs a two-year-old child upon you as legitimate you are bound to think that there is some deceit you cannot keep yourself from knowing that there is falsehood and if falsehood then probably fraud is it likely that a man with such privileges and such property insured to a legitimate son would allow the birth of such a child to be slurred over without due notice of it you say that suspicion on our part without strong ground would be unworthy of us i agree with you but i ask you whether the grounds are not so strong as to force us to suspect come he continued as lord george did not answer at once let us be open to each other knowing as each does that the other means to do what is right do not you suspect i do said lord george and so do i and i mean to learn the truth but how that is for us to consider but of one thing i am quite sure i am quite certain that we must not allow ourselves to be afraid of your brother to speak the truth as it must be spoken he is a bully george i would rather you would not abuse him sir speak ill of him i must his character is bad and i have to speak of it he set himself to work to put me down when i did myself the honour to call on him because he felt that my connection with you would probably make me an enemy to him i intend that he shall know that he cannot put me down he is undoubtedly lord brotherton he is the owner of a wide property he has many privileges and much power with which i cannot interfere but there is a limit to them if he have a legitimate son those privileges will be that son's property but he has to show to the world that the son is legitimate when a man marries before all the world in his own house and a child is born to him as i may say openly the proofs are there of themselves no bringing up of evidence is necessary the thing is simple and there is no suspicion and no inquiry but he has done the reverse of this and now flatters himself that he can cow those who are concerned by a domineering manner he must be made to feel that this will not prevail sarah thinks that he should be invited to produce the necessary certificates lord george when he dropped his sister's title in speaking of her to the dean must have determined that very familiar intercourse with the dean was a necessity lady sarah is always right that should be the first step but will you invite him to do so how shall the matter be broken to him she thinks a lawyer should do it it must be done either by you or by a lawyer 
Lord George looked very blank. Of course, if the matter were left in my hands, if I had to do it, I should not do it personally. The question is whether you might not in the first instance write to him. He would not notice it. Very likely not. Then we must employ a lawyer. The matter was altogether so distasteful to Lord George that more than once during the interview he almost made up his mind that he would withdraw altogether from the work, and at any rate appear to take it for granted that the child was a real heir, an undoubted Popenjoy. But then, as often, the dean showed him that he could not so withdraw himself. "'You will be driven,' said the dean, "'to express your belief, whatever it may be, and if you think there has been foul play, you cannot deny that you think so. It was at last decided that Lord George should write a letter to his brother, giving all the grounds, not of his own suspicion, but which the world at large would have for suspecting, and earnestly imploring that proper evidence as to his brother's marriage and as to the child's birth might be produced. Then, if this letter should not be attended to, a lawyer should be employed. The dean named his own lawyer, Mr. Battle, of Lincoln's Inn Fields. Lord George, having once yielded, found it convenient to yield throughout. Towards the end of the interview the dean suggested that he would throw a few words together, or, in other language, write the letter which his son-in-law would have to sign. This suggestion was also accepted by Lord George. The two men were together for a couple of hours, and then, after lunch, went out together into town. Each felt that he was now more closely bound to the other than ever. The dean was thoroughly pleased that it should be so. He intended his son-in-law to be the marquis, and being sanguine as well as pugnacious, looked forward to seeing that time himself. Such a man as the marquis would probably die early, whereas he himself was full of health. There was nothing he would not do to make Lord George's life pleasant, if only Lord George would be pleasant to him, and submissive. But Lord George himself was laden with many regrets. He had formed a conspiracy against the head of his own family, and his brother-conspirator was the son of a stable-keeper. It might be also that he was conspiring against his own legitimate nephew, and if so, the conspiracy would of course fail, and he would be stigmatized forever among the Germains as the most sordid and vile of the name. The dean's house was in the close, joined on to the cathedral, a covered stone pathway running between the two. The nearest way from the deanery to the high street was through the cathedral, the transept of which could be entered by crossing the passage. The dean and his son-in-law on this occasion went through the building to the west entrance, and there stood for a few minutes in the street while the dean spoke to men who were engaged in certain repairs of the fabric. In doing this they all went out into the middle of the wide street in order that they might look up at the work which was being done. While they were there, suddenly an open carriage with a postillion came upon them unawares, and they had to retreat out of the way. As they did so, they perceived that Lord Brotherton was in the carriage, enveloped in furs, and that a lady, more closely enveloped even than himself, was by his side. It was evident to them that he had recognized them. Indeed, he had been in the act of raising his hand to greet his brother when he saw the dean. They both bowed to him, while the dean, who had the readier mind, raised his hat to the lady. But the marquis steadily ignored them. "'That's your sister-in-law,' said the dean. "'Perhaps so.' 
there is no other lady here with whom he could be driving i am pretty sure that it is the first time that either of them have been in brotherton i wonder whether he saw us of course he saw us he cut me from fixed purpose and you because i was with you i shall not disturb him by any further recognition then they went about their business and in the afternoon when the dean had thrown his few words together lord george rode back to cross hall let the letter be sent at once but date it from london these were the last words the dean said to him it was the marquis and his wife all brotherton heard the news she had absolutely called at a certain shop and the marquis had condescended to be her interpreter all brotherton was now sure that there was a new marchioness a fact as to which a great part of brotherton had hitherto entertained doubts and it seemed that this act of condescension in stopping at a brotherton shop was so much appreciated that all the former faults of the marquis were to be condoned on that account if only popenjoy could be taken to a brotherton pastry-cook and be got to eat a brotherton bun the marquis would become the most popular man in the neighbourhood and the undoubted progenitor of a long line of marquises to come a little kindness after continued cruelty will always win a dog's heart some say also a woman's it certainly seemed to be the way to win brotherton End of chapter twenty four